So I'm very excited actually to preach today's message, not just because of the topic itself, but I have the sense of latent potential in what is possible if this community rallies around this uh, idea that a church that is committed to God and to one another is actually able to advance the kingdom in ways that an individual Christian is not able to. Because this past year has brought us full circle to the question, what is the church? What is it supposed to look like? What are we aiming for? And earlier in this year, in the month of May, I know it feels like a million years ago, but the month of May, we actually had a three-part sermon series on the church's identity. We preached on the church as a family, we preached on the church as a bride, and we preached on the church as the army of God. And in the recent months, as we've uh, kind of let everybody know through our town hall meetings, after a long hiatus of healing, re-examining, regrouping, revisiting our church life stage, we are now ready to talk about this topic of church membership. Now, I'm going to start with this disclaimer. If you look for the term membership in the Bible, you actually will not find it there. But what you will find is bits and pieces, snapshots of the church that together form a composite picture for us of what the church is supposed to look like. So, for example, in Acts, we see that it's a community that first met regularly, devoted themselves to fellowship, prayer, and the word. They gave generously preached the gospel boldly, and it wasn't an ambiguous, undefined, unstructured group of people. It was actually a very well-defined people, very diverse backgrounds and culture that committed themselves to God and to one another, that had elders, deacons, and structure, that exercised church discipline, that had programs for widows and orphans, and that supported missionaries and church planters. So if we have somewhere in the back of our mind this idea of like, you know, like I wish we could go back to, to those good old times when the church was just about authenticity and just believing in the gospel, let's look at the Bible for what the Bible lays out as a model for the church to follow. And that is, it it wasn't an undefined group of hippie-like Christians who, you know, just here and there would talk about Jesus, here and there would choose to give, here and there would choose to pray. It was actually a very well-structured, very well-organized group of people that were very committed to one another and were very committed to following the commandments of God together. It's not just in the book of Acts that we see this, but in every New Testament epistle, we see case after case of either. It's not, hey, y'all, let me write this letter to y'all. It was actually a defined group of people that were considered the church in Corinth, in Galatia, in Philippi, in Ephesus. It doesn't matter where the location was. It was actually a local community, a local church. In the book of Revelation, we see seven very specific churches churches that are addressed with both commendations and rebukes. 
So we're not talking about just a very general, very broad message that is given to Christians in general, but it's actually God choosing to address local and specific churches in given regions. Of course, there's things that every believer should glean from every single epistle. Whether you're live in Corinth or not, the book of Corinthians has something to say to you, of course. But we, not, we must take note that in a very real sense, the majority of the books of the New Testament were literally letters written to specific churches that were also circulated through the region, region for the building up of the body. So with that being said, I'm going to ask all of us to open up to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a vague uh, uh, idea, like it sounds kind of familiar, 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter that talks about love. But the previous chapter, the, ch- the chapter right before it, it is talking about the identity of the church and a very particular characteristic of the church. Now keep in mind that it's a letter that was specifically written to a local church and then circulated to other churches as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be reading from verse 12 to verse 26. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. We're going to have slides for you as well if you don't have your physical Bible with you. All right, and it reads, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink. Of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I'm going to stop us right there. Now, I know that this is 
uh, a fragment uh, that is actually in the larger scope of what it looks like to be a united body of Christ that is able to equip one another to do greater works for the kingdom of God according to the particular giftings that we've been given. That's why the eye can't say to, to the hand or the eye can't say to the foot, you are not valuable because you can't see. Each part of the body has its own role. But when we talk about this particular passage in the context of church membership, we see that the church is seen as a very well-defined community that is committed to one another and committed to the mission of the church. With that being said... I must interject by saying that church membership itself isn't an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. It's a tool at our disposal that will get us one step closer to where we need to be. But membership itself is not the end goal. Membership will get us closer to the goal, but it's going to be a tool and a very valuable one at that to get us where we need to be. Church membership also, as we saw in this passage, it's not uniformity and it's not cookie cutter Christianity that overlooks the individual or that is diametrically opposed to authenticity. It's structure that best showcases the unique value of the individual in the context of the larger good and creates both an environment of safety, and also an opportunity for growth. So that's something that I have to say from the get-go. We're not talking about church membership like we're all going to become robots and we're all going to be clones of one another. The world doesn't need 80 Susie Parks. It doesn't. The, the world can barely just handle one. You know, The world doesn't need 80 John Parks. Please, Lord, no. Right? The church just needs one John Park. But the church needs a diversity. The church needs individuals that come together as different and unique individuals to build up the body of Christ and to advance his kingdom. I don't want us also to think that we either have structure or we have authenticity, which is something that today's culture actually pits uh, against one another. You can actually have authenticity and freedom and this genuine an honest sense of following God because we have a safe structure. So they're not opposed to one another. They're not working against one another. We're not saying we need half structure and half authenticity. No, we're saying we can actually have fully both. That one feeds into the other and the other feeds into one and of itself. So, with that being said, my first point for us to meditate on together is that a well-defined local church celebrates together and hurts together. A well-defined local church celebrates together and also hurts together. To make this point, I have a quick illustration and I have a hammer for us today, right? So imagine I were to ask the people in this room here, all of us to put our hands on top of a table, right? And if I had any question as to whose finger that is without looking up and seeing, you know, whose body it's connected to, I just need to use this, 
right? If I were to go ahead and hit one of the fingers, I would very quickly and very clearly know whose finger that is. There'd be no question about it. If I hit David Ha's finger, it's going to be David Ha that hurts. It's not going to be Lindsay that cries out in pain. It's going to be David Ha that cries out in pain. It is very clear whose finger that belongs to. It's a kind of violent, you know, illustration, but you get the point. There's going to be no question whose finger that belongs to. And in the same way, if there's one member of the body that is hurting, we're going to know very quickly who that member belongs to, what body that member belongs to. Now let's use a a bit more of a, you know, uh, an encouraging illustration. Imagine I'm a physical therapist, right? That, and I'm treating a finger injury. I wouldn't think of it as a disembodied finger that I'm treating. So for example, if David Ha, you know, were to have a hurt finger and I'm a physical therapist, I'm not just saying, Hey, I'm not treating David Ha. I'm actually treating just this finger. No, of course I am treating and curing David Ha. The whole person benefits from this treatment in the same way. When a member is honored, is celebrated, is healed, is treated, is taught, is equipped, the whole body benefits as well. Any treatment I give to this one finger, I'm actually giving to the whole body as well. Now imagine I did the opposite, back to the hammer, right? If I took this hammer and hit David Ha's finger, his left pinky, as hard as I could... It would be really psychotic of me to say, look, I love David Ha and I would never do anything to harm him. I didn't harm David Ha. I harmed just his finger, right? Everybody get off my case. It's not David Ha that I hit. It's just his finger. That doesn't make any sense. Of course not. Of course I can say that. If I hit his left pinky, I've hit him as a person. And in the same way, the finger isn't something in and of itself on its own. The finger belongs to the body. The Christian is not just someone that's on their own. The Christian actually belongs to the body of Christ. Now, in the same way a disembodied finger can't survive on its own, you too cannot survive on your own. The finger needs the heart to pump blood through the blood vessels, the finger needs the mouth and the esophagus and the stomach and the intestines to ingest nutrients that will eventually get to the finger. The finger needs the brain and the spine and the nervous system to move. The finger needs the body, of course. And then in the same very obvious way, you as a Christian need the rest of the body. Now there are challenging times when you think maybe you'd be better off without the body, right? And frankly, that's a very popular sentiment in younger Christians these days. Why do we need structure? Why do we need the institutional church? Why do we need church membership? Isn't it sufficient that I just attend here and there? Isn't my relationship with Jesus enough? This is a very good question to ask, but it's also a very short-termed question to ask. In the short term... Maybe even in seasons of healing, yes, it is appropriate if it is the case that you take a break from the body of Christ or attending the local church. But in the long term, in the long term, 
the wisdom and the design of God for us as Christians is to thrive within the context of the body. That is his will for you and for me. That's his gift to you and to me. I am not called simply to be an independent finger somewhere off detached from the body. The Lord loves me so much that he wants me to be a part of the body. That I would learn, that I would serve, that I would be sewn into, that I would be treasured and valued, that I would be confronted, that I would be held accountable. All these things are for my good. This is God's love and his mercy and his kindness over my life. He does not want me to thrive outside of the context of the local body and it's the same for you as well that's the first thing we were made to celebrate together and to hurt together it's not always very convenient it's not always very easy and we're not always on the same page but i as a christian in order to fully grasp the gospel i need to know what it means to die to myself and to serve someone else. I need to know how to celebrate someone else's accomplishments, someone else's breakthroughs, even when I don't experience that same breakthrough. I need to learn as a Christian how to weep with someone who's going through loss or pain or confusion. I need to know that. I need to learn that as a Christian, even though I myself am not walking through that. And that is the gift that God has given me. Through the body of Christ. Second is a well-defined local church is going to be counter-cultural. Now the truth is that we live in probably the most non-committal generation ever. We want the benefits of intimacy without the cost. We want people to be open with us without we ourselves needing to be open with them. We want all the benefits without the investment and without the risk. Just two days ago, actually, I was reading uh, through an article that a fellow pastor shared with me. And it's titled, The Folly of, quote-unquote, Looking for Community. The Folly of, quote-unquote, Looking for Community. And this is what the author said. He said that we live in an age of bailing out. And a customizable, have-it-your-way consumer mentality where you don't have to tolerate discomfort if you don't want to. And then later on in the article, he says, and I quote, he says, When I ask newcomers what brings them to our church, the most common reply is, I am looking for a community. I often wince hearing that phrase, fearing they won't stay long. It's not that desiring community is a bad thing. The problem is the assumption that community is found, like stumbling upon a hidden treasure. One cannot find community because it isn't something to be discovered. Community is never found, only built. Community is never found, only built. And this is that myth that we grow up believing especially today in in today's world is there is a perfect ideal church somewhere out there 
a perfect ideal church that is going to meet my needs, that is going to perfectly fit with everything that I believe in, where I'm never going to be uncomfortable. I'm never going to feel like the minority. I'm never going to feel alone or outnumbered. I'm never going to feel uh, the discomfort of having to learn and, and grow together with someone who's very different from myself. There is no such church. There is no such church for anyone. The church is built by a people who commit themselves to one another. We're not saying we're magically going to stumble on this accidentally one day. It's actually we're going to work hard to build a community where we don't stand alone. We're going to work hard to build a community where we equip one another. We hurt with one another. We grow closer to one another. This is what it means to be a family. If you think that family is a magical place where you're never annoyed and you're never confronted and you never have to adapt to someone else's preferences, then you're very wrong. You maybe don't have a family. A family is probably the place where you have the most friction. We have the most confrontations, the most arguments. That is a place where you actually learn to grow, learn to serve one another, where it's not there just to serve you, but it's also there for you to serve someone else. That is what family is. When the world says, look out for yourself, the gospel says, lay down your life for one another. When the world says, take care of yourself as much as you can, the gospel says, serve one another, die to yourself, sow and you will reap. When the world says, you can only get along if you're similar, if you have the same mindset, you're on the same page, the gospel says, the blood of Christ has made you one, Jew or Gentile, free or slave, rich or poor. Raised in a Christian home or race atheist, male or female, it doesn't matter. The blood of Christ will make you one. The gospel is inherently countercultural against the grain of the world. And the church should be too. More than ever before, I believe in the younger generation, we need a fresh revelation of what it means to be the church as a body interconnected, brought together, not for the purpose of serving your own individual interests, but brought together for the purpose of glorifying God in the midst of discomfort in this world. The well-defined local church will be inherently counter-cultural. It won't look like the world. It won't look like you get to pick and choose what you want. It will look like a lot of friction, a lot of discomfort, a lot of difficult conversations. At the same time, it's also going to look like people who love you enough to celebrate with you, to weep with you, to grow together with you, to encourage you when you need that encouragement. It's going to be countercultural. And third, a well-defined church advances the kingdom of God. No matter how strong or driven you are, you won't be able to sustain your relationship with Jesus without the body. I'm going to repeat that one more time. No matter how committed, how strong, how great of self-discipline you have, you won't be able to sustain your relationship with Jesus long-term, all the way to the finish line without the body. 
You need the body. You need people to sow into you and teach you and hold you accountable. You need people for you to serve and test your patience and rub you the wrong way and create Christ-like character in you. You need people to celebrate with you when there's something to celebrate. You need people to mourn with you when there's something to mourn. But you won't be able to finish the race strong if all you have is me, myself, and I. You were not designed that way. The Christian walk was not designed that way. You were meant to be in family. But even more importantly than that, the gospel and the mission of the church is so much bigger than your individual journey with the Lord. The scope and the extent of the gospel is so much greater, so much more pervasive, so much more eternal and more impactful, more enduring than what we can imagine with our own individual personal lives. My life's greatest desire, so my greatest ambition for myself is to live a life that trumpets and exalts the worth of Jesus. That when people see my life, my life choices, my decisions, the way that I've spent my time, my money, my relationships, people would see without a shadow of a doubt that it was far from perfect, but it was all worthwhile and Jesus is glorified through it. That's my greatest life desire. And the only thing... The only thing that I can think of that would be greater than that is that there would be a community built around that same heart. A company of people that are committed to God for wholehearted, extravagant love, sacrificial obedience, and also committed to one another to run the race Together, That's the only thing that I can imagine that could be more glorious than that. Now, I'm plainly aware that this might be a hard message to receive for a few of you. There's people here who have experienced hurt at the hands of the local church. And I know that because I've been there too. So let me simply encourage you with this. This is part of the healing process. God wants to bring healing into your life. And the antidote to bad church experience, it isn't no church experience. It's good church experience. It's healthy church experience. When I first came to New Philly, I've shared this here and there, but I... I try not to do so too much. When I first walked into New Philly, I was actually coming out of a very difficult time in my life. When through the local church, the church that I was a part of before, I found myself deeply hurt, needing healing, needing to be left alone, needing, you know, to... Man, I I don't want you getting all up in my business. I don't want you speaking to me. I just need to be left alone. And that was the state where I was at at the very beginning when I first came out to New Philly. 
I was in a very broken place, needing very deep inner healing. And as I was journeying with this church, I felt increasingly more as time went by that God's desire for me wasn't to get healing apart from the church. It was to get healing through the church. He would convict me over and over and over again that I need healing and healing will come in the form of learning to love a broken church, an imperfect church, learning to love a people who may or may not be there for me when I needed to be may or may not love me in the way that I need to be loved. And yet learning to love a broken body would bring great healing to myself and not only that, it would begin to build that kind of community. It would begin to build that kind of culture a people who will be there for one another. A people who will work through our differences and our imperfections and would learn to love later way. And nine, almost ten years later, I can say that yes, I've been through very difficult church experiences. My experience at church was not a rosy one. But I can also say that through this body and through brothers and sisters that committed themselves to run together, to love God together, to serve one another, I've gotten so much breakthrough and so much healing. And I have more hope for the local church than I ever did before. If a church can make it through a really painful season of discipline from the Lord, of a stripping down and of a shaking and a rebuilding from the ground up, then man, I have more hope than ever before for the local church. You can't love his body when you have one foot out, when you already have an escape route planned out. When you are kind of half in, but kind of, you know, like just making sure that you have plan B and plan C. You can't help build something and love people if you're always waiting for something better to come along. Or waiting for the first sign of weakness to dip out. Or waiting for the next best thing to come. Christ loves his broken body. He loves his bride. And he invites us to do the same. I'm going to close with this as we have the praise team come back up. Like I said at the very beginning, you know, we are in the next month. We're going to be announcing, you know, a relaunch of our membership process. And we've been really prayerful about it. Because the last thing I want personally is to simply do things because they ought to be done. I don't want just to do membership because it's what other churches are doing. I want to do this with the conviction that this is God's heart and God's will and God's gift for the church. I don't just want to do it because, hey, we need to know how many number, like what number of people we have. Or like, hey, we need stability, which we do. But for me, that's not a sufficient enough reason to go through membership. I need a deep conviction that this is God's heart for this church. 
I need a deep conviction that this is a part of what we need in order for us to pursue the vision that God has given us as a church. And so I want to invite you, no matter what kind of church experience you've had, and no matter what kind of, like how long you've been in our church either, regardless of your background, regardless of whether you're an old timer or a newcomer, I want to challenge you with this question. Is God calling you to commit to this local church? And I'm asking this knowing that this is not the church for everybody. I'm asking this knowing that New Philly may not be the right church for everybody. So it's not a given. But what is necessary is a time and intentionality to come before the Lord and ask, is this the community that you've called me to? It doesn't mean, is this a perfect community? It means, God, is this a community that you've called me to? Especially in the last three years, I've been so blessed, so blessed to see certain people joining our community in a way that brought us fresh strength. And this was in the midst of us going through a really difficult season. If I can maybe honor, you know, a few of our, you know, newer people to our community, people like Jacob and Amy, who came during the time that our church was falling apart. And deep inside, I would ask myself, they probably have much better options here. I don't know why they're committing. And yet, they knew so clearly that God was calling them to this church. And through probably the hardest times that our church has been through, they were here to serve the body. They weren't here with one foot out. They were here to serve the body. And they have shepherded, they've ministered, they've prayed for this church. And they've done it in a way that has built up the church, that has changed and transformed the church and has made the church a healthier and safer place for others to call their home as well. Maybe God is asking the same from you today. Maybe God has called you to this church and he's simply asking you to trust in his wisdom. To trust that you will be taken care of. And that although this church and all churches are not perfect, this is meant to be your family and this is meant to be your home. I'm giving this challenge weeks in advance before we even talk about when and where our membership class is going to be because I don't want this I want you an emotional in the moment impulsive decision that you make I want you to take this to the prayer closet I want you to go before the Lord and ask him is this where you've called me and I want you to ask him for peace in your heart to say yes confirmation in your heart for you to say yes and if it isn't there is no shame and there is no condemnation I would like you to ask God then what is the community that you've called me to so that I can wholeheartedly commit to it and help build it up as well so it's not there's not a right or wrong answer and there's no pressure and no shame 
I'm simply asking all of us to take this prayer request before the Lord. To give him an opportunity to speak with clarity regarding whether this is the church that he's called you to. And if it is, that you would go all in. That you would experience what it feels like to freely love, to freely give, to freely serve, and allow yourself to receive the same from a community that is also committed to you. As I've been watching this challenging season for many churches all across the globe, I've been getting a clearer and clearer sense of God's hand at work at his church. And I don't confuse discipline for loss of hope in the church. On the contrary, I see God shaking things in the church. And that has personally given me more hope for the church than I've ever had before. God is at work in his church. He's jealous for his bride. He is moving in the nations. He has a purpose. He has a timeline. And he wants partnership with his church. It's not just an ambiguous church. He wants partnership with a local church, with a local community. He wants to work through the local church to advance his kingdom. So let's take a moment to pray before God. If this is a point of contention in your heart, if there are experiences that you've, ex- that you've gone through that make you very suspicious or very skeptical towards the church, I'm not going to force a turning of heart I'm not going to ask for you to just snap out of it or shift out of it. I'm simply going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring about the openness of heart that is required for true, deep, and transformative work to happen. That the Holy Spirit, in His kindness and in His mercy, would help us bring down our guards our defensiveness our overly cautious patterns that he would help us and that he would give us hope for true healing and true change through his local church let's pray